out, nowadays, you know, in the past, I would have met somebody and I would have been very, maybe impressed by how much philosophy they could speak or complicated theories they could offer. And now if I meet somebody and they're happy, not just because they're, you know, abusing substances, but they're just, they're happy and they love life and they have a lightness and joy about them. I don't care if they know about chakras or chi or anything. I think, I think they're, they're on a great path and they're enjoying life. And I think the moment they die, I think we all sort of remember whatever chakras and chi and all this stuff really is. And so I look for those signs now. And if I see supposed master, but they're so disturbed and in anguish and, and uh, angry at the stupidity of humanity and stuff like that, then I think despite all their philosophizing, uh, there's a lot of errors being made inside of them, you know. Right now, the earth needs a spirituality that looks like us helping it to regenerate more than it needs us uh, folding our hands and lighting incense, you know. It, it really could use, it could use our help being kind to it in a very practical way. And I promise that something as humble and practical as making soil with your neighbors can actually be profoundly transformative of consciousness and an incredible spiritual practice. That was Josh Winnan, and this is Duggett, the podcast. Welcome to episode 68 of Duggett with Josh Winnan. Really excited to share this one with you. As you can tell from the intro, Josh is full of incredible wisdom and insights. And uh, I was introduced to Josh by a friend, Trey Ratcliffe, a former podcast guest and one of the world's great photographers. He's actually the most followed photographer in the world, Trey. So if you haven't seen his work already or listened to the podcast, check that one out. But Josh was introduced and uh, I saw he had been endorsed by Tony Robbins as an incredible leader a heart-driven leader that everyone should know about and uh, any friend of Tony Robbins is a, is a friend of mine. <laughs> so I was really excited to, to get to speak with Josh. And as a little background, uh, Josh had founded a tech startup which got people out of cars and into public transport, uh, which helped reduce emissions and, and was a real kind of climate positive business. And then he was uh, named by Obama as a champion of change, which is an abandoned endorsement. And then um, he also founded one of the first urban farms in the southeastern United States, which is still going. And now he's on to makesoil.org, which is an incredible website. Check it out. It's got compost sites all around the world, including New Zealand. And um, so you can go on there. You can be part of a local composting community, or you can kind of open up your composting uh, pile to others and it's just an incredible way to do your part for the world to become more aware to you know improves your mental health physical health awareness creates community does so many things uh, I think in the culture we live in and particularly for me it's easy to get so head in the clouds and airy-fairy and intellectual and this is just such a beautiful grounding practice that has huge benefits and and kind of rolls or 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 permeates is that the word I'm looking for kind of every aspect of life um as Paul Chick a great teacher said you know if you don't 
you can't understand nutrition and health and and the world we live in unless you understand soil health because that's where it really begins that is the life of the planet so without further ado here is the legend himself Josh Whitten enjoy you're kind of interested in insects and nature and photoshop and bands and all all kinds of things yeah and then in 2010 my interest swung toward toward food systems when i was trying to solve some family health uh, issues and they really hadn't been on my radar yet uh so where'd you grow up where, where was this what kind of yeah. um environment this was in the southeast in? the southeastern united states or the south as other people might know it around the world um North Carolina, but I'd grown, I'd lived all over the U S from Hawaii to New York to North Carolina, but just food had never been on my mind. You know, we always just ate whatever was served and didn't think too much about it. And, uh, and then I started to realize that it was a really big question humanity was struggling with of what to eat and how it should be produced. And I found that myself and my friends and my neighbors, we were all pretty clueless about this stuff at the time. And I don't like being clueless about things when I realize they're important. So I decided to learn how to grow some food to start planting seeds and start a garden and uh, invite my friends to join me. And then we somewhere along the way realized that we needed to make compost. We needed to make soil. That's what the plants wanted to eat. So that was a big epiphany. And I just kept going and going and going. Started an urban farm, a community garden. Uh, just kept learning and learning. And uh, really this process of making soil together and composting together, it was just the simplest part of the whole thing, the most overlooked part of all of it, especially since it's the thing that every single person can participate in. Maybe every single person can't start a garden or whatever, but every person creates food waste. Every person has leftovers, whether it's the coffee grounds or the tea bag or the banana peel. So that's the universal experience we're inviting people into is to turn that stuff back into living soil yeah fantastic that it's interesting you say it came from a health um health issue uh, one of the uh, soil researchers in new zealand who does a lot of gut health research for mental health um he's a do you know paul check he was he trained with paul check who was actually one of tony robbins's first teachers but he's a guru on mm-hmm. meditation and gut health and invented the swiss ball and all this kind of thing um but ben had a back issue as a pro golfer and he he always was trying to solve it by biomechanics and then one day this lady said you've got a dairy intolerance i can tell your stomach's bloated and it's pulling on your hip flexors and it's pressing your lower back and um and i had the same thing i discovered i had a dairy intolerance and growing up on just dairy products my whole life and and hadn't put two and two together and then and then it just starts you on this rabbit hole (laughs) you kind of just exactly and uh but ben researched all of the soil in new zealand and found it was even in our soil was uh, deficient in selenium and zinc and um all these essential nutrients and that yeah when i read about that and then he passed me on western a price's book nutrition and physical degeneration mm-hmm. and um and then working in advertising and seeing the processed food would just 
promote and pump out the exactly. schools. I'm like, man, there's a huge disconnect. Um, and so many people that are unwell, but I, I just thought it was interesting. A lot of everyone I talked to, it, it seems to come from a pain point. Yeah. Usually around health or some kind of, there's something that opens up the awareness. Um, yeah. And something you just touched on, you know, why wouldn't the soils be depleted if we're constantly asking them to produce food and we're shipping it off to somewhere else and then the remnants of that are put into a garbage truck and taken to a landfill? That's a one-way function out of the ground. So, of course, not to be hyperbolic, but in a sense, the food we purchase at the grocery store is less nutritious every single day um, until that that broken loop is fixed until that loop is closed and totally and the and the um i remember when i last had to benny had a device which you can measure i think the vitamin c content from or nutrition content with like infrared kind of laser device on certain foods and he thought you know people were looking at what they bought with nutrients rather than just an organic orange versus a conventional, if they knew this one had double the vitamin C, then it would warrant the small increase in price. But um, yeah, the big thing out of that movie last night was all the subsidies and, and the true cost of food isn't really, uh, it's just not really a true cost. Like all our dairy products often subsidized in schools here and, and mm-hmm. the cheap and in the, all the poor communities in New Zealand, like, I guess like America, it's just, all fast food and there's even like a greater disconnect and it's usually in the best land for growing food as well, which I think mm-hmm. is, um, yep. is interesting. So what's the, is this full time for you now then with the soil, um, the soil project or. Well, it's, you know, even that question, I, I haven't, I haven't had like a normal job or a, boss since i was 23 and uh so ever since then life has been full-time but i don't really track my hours on anything and and who's to say you know i I don't like sitting at a desk so am i working right now talking to you i don't know i don't you know (laughs) is this is this you know promoting make soil or is this just two guys you know having a good time so that's that's kind of what life looks like so life life is full time uh and a lot of energy and thought goes into make soil but it gives back a lot to my life as well and i have many wonderful adventures and meet amazing people um and i have so many side projects i love i love spinning up new things i love creating new things and so yeah i have some land regeneration projects going on as well now and some technologies related to consciousness that I've been developing. And, and um, again, I don't like to be put in a box. I love, you know, we know a very omnivorous diet is healthy for the body. And I also enjoy a really omnivorous diet for the mind. So I fill it with a lot of things and I love having a, the full experience of, of, of humanity. Yeah. Beautiful. I think yeah, my girlfriend was asking me last night what I, what I need the most. And I feel like it's freedom to do mm-hmm. um, 
to work on different projects without constraints or to meet people without constraints or boxes. Um, mm-hmm. But there's so much kind of conditioning at school, like a nine to five or working in a certain way. Um, yeah, I guess it doesn't, like you said, the work. I saw a great quote from a friend the other day, and I think it was from um, Seth Godin that people say we need to get back to work and it should be need to get back to play or flipping that, um, yeah. that paradigm. I noticed it with Trey as well. He's so great at just at putting out so much work without even noticing. He's just always creating photos and creating fractals and and mm-hmm. doing things that it's just so organic there's no yeah it's almost like working and playing all the time um yeah exactly which i thought yeah, i try cool. to watch my language and not not use these phrases like oh i have to do this or i need to that it's really i'm going to go do this now or i'd like to do this or this is just what i'm doing you know but um because ultimately we are choosing all the time it doesn't mean there's not consequences for not doing things you know you don't have to you don't have to pay your rent or your taxes or anything if you don't want to now the consequences they might take your house away at some point but you have to stop and say do i like this house am i willing to do this thing for it yeah well then this is what i want to do i want to get out my checkbook and write a check to the government right now you know but it's really healthy to flip it in in your mind until you are like yeah i'm i'm choosing to do this this is what i want to do so where are you um where are you based now? So you're with your parents, but are you based in a particular city based or Washington State? Yeah, uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon, actually. Right. Oh, okay. Usually, usually where I'm based. And uh, before COVID hit, though, I was, I was on the road almost full time, just having adventures and uh, doing make soil workshops all over the world, uh, getting soil sites going, teaching people how to make soil, and just going to conferences and festivals and meeting, meeting great people. So very much, I very much love the whole planet, you know, uh, New Zealand included, I've you know, got this wonderful global impact visa from the New Zealand government. And uh, if not for COVID, I, I'm usually in New Zealand every year for a month or more. Uh, but I really do love the whole world. You know, it's, I can't, I, you know, America's great. New Zealand's great. I love Japan. You know, I just love the whole freaking thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you heard of Dr. D. Martini? He's a, uh, he, he was talking about as a kid, he traveled a lot and he just always had this global citizen approach and global family approach. And, um, and I, I was talking, we were talking to try we're chatting with Trey the other night about the, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, like going away from nationalism and looking at like a global point of view. And, but it's interesting. A lot of people are still really, even in New Zealand, really stuck at um, putting borders up and not wanting too many people here and certain types of people. And some, um, but it does feel we live in such a global world, like so, so connected. Um, yeah the yeah cycled through portland actually down cannon beach down that pch coast is beautiful Mm -hmm. beautiful area but it was interesting i was right at the elections for trump and there was the lady i stayed with was like a recycling um 
she did these kits where people could have delivered lunches and have these containers for their food and then have them washed and not have any waste streams. And mm. but it was interesting being in there in Portland for the election and just how um, divided the country was. And then with that social dilemma movie, seeing how people can't see both sides of each other. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a very polarized region, unfortunately. Do you have that with your education in soil health? Are people pretty open to your work or or, or do you have people who are opposed <laughs> opposed to the idea? I don't know why they would be, but <laughs> No, the <clears throat> you know, the superpower of of Make Soil is that everybody can get on board with it. It's kind of it's like if you're pro planet Earth and you would like to continue living on earth and have it not uh, devolve into chaos, then you're, you're generally on board with make soil and what we're doing. And what's really cool about it is that, you know, we've got people who are on the platform making soil and they're uh, ardent climate change uh, activists and we have people on the platform who are uh, super, super conservative uh, political folks who don't even believe in climate change, but they love the community around it. They love the self-sufficiency of having soil to grow their own food and share that with their neighbors. And, and to be honest, I care far less about what people profess to believe and far more about what, what they do with themselves and how they spend their time. And people making soil together is, it's like this universal thing that when people do that together, they, it's so humanizing as opposed to all the divisive media that's polarizing and dehumanizes the other side as an enemy. And our workshops, the, the scenes, that play out at these soil sites, they're the total opposite. They're very integrating and dissolving of those barriers. Just you have humans showing up with their food scraps and they dump those scraps. And right then and there, you see all, all the life it took to keep us alive, right? All these plants or animals that uh, gave up their life so that we could keep living and breathing. And you see the other person dumping their food scraps. And I think subconsciously it just, people realize like, wow, it takes, takes life to keep us alive. And you need, you need life and energy to keep you alive. And I need life and energy to keep me alive. And we're doing this beautiful thing together that recycles the energy and the nutrients in a way that can keep us both alive. And it just dissolves those barriers. And we have people of all colors and all political persuasions just making soil together. And I have never politics don't even come up people are just so enamored with this beautiful act that they're performing together it's a little slice of heaven on earth so that's where i put my hope yeah beautiful i i, I we had um a gentleman who was the was one of the top guys at uh general electric staying out here one like a, a big CEO and I was asking him what, what he would, how he, 
you know, what opportunities he was looking at. He said the ability to be local or to have, particularly in somewhere like New Zealand, to have your own food systems, your own, um, to be more self-sufficient is was like a huge opportunity. And I feel like things around community, like that bring people together, like making soil or community events or even community gardens and even even in our little area I felt like a shift towards those food systems and farmers markets and people appreciating those things much more because there's crazy statistics I heard something like Hawaii imports 90% of its food even though it's probably one of the most beautiful places in the world to grow food and that's right and grow avocados four seasons a year and it's like a test ground for GMO crops and yep it just didn't make any sense to me and then and i and one of the craziest things was i saw the bill gates documentary i'm like this is a really smart guy who by all accounts looks to be doing incredible work but then he's supporting gmo and monsanto as well and i was i was like they're just a lot of people are disconnected from the grassroots yeah yeah, I mean, I don't know. You'd probably see it in the tech world too, like the guys who try and live off Soylent or yeah. are so disconnected from nature. And I've been listening to Zach Bush a lot um, about, you know, the microbes and the best thing you can do is be in nature and breathing in those microbes and exposing yourself to soil and eliminating anything that's, you know, a lot of these health conditions and societal issues come from that disconnection with, the microbes and the microbiome and the gut, which comes from the soil and nature. Um, yeah, is there, have you got any thoughts on, on where that disconnect comes from? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I noticed that years ago and was trying to put my finger on it. How do you have very smart people in one sense who seem clueless in another sense? And the way I eventually sorted it out was what I call ecosystem consciousness. So in other words, or back to the awareness you mentioned, we can be aware of some things and not other things. And so there's a particular type of awareness that I call ecosystem consciousness. And that is, it's a sort of perceptual ability to perceive ecosystems and it's kind of an intuition it's not just like a factoid you can't just read a wikipedia article and you know everybody's heard the word ecosystem but it doesn't always land and so ecosystem consciousness it's this it's this ability to perceive the web of life as this interconnected thing at multiple levels of reality so it's happening between us right now it's happening inside your body it's happening cells are all in a community together your microbiome is in a community your gut bacteria it's in a community and once you sort of get the pattern of that life you realize that um that it all depends on each other and it all balances each other and it's more than you can see and it's i don't even need to describe it to you because i think you and you you have this sense of ecosystems you could you could take a handful of living soil and dead soil and look at the two and you would just know this one's alive and this one's dead. And, and this one, this one isn't just darker. It's not just like more Brown and this one's less Brown. You would know this one's full of life. And 
I think it's a sort of pattern of, of a neural network or something that allows you to perceive ecosystems and many people don't have it. And that's because of possibly lack of exposure to ecosystems. Whereas they've been pretty obvious to me my entire life, I think because I was in the backyard there with the magnifying glass, just watching the fractal nature of reality, you know, that there's, um, there's ants that are this big and there's ants. There's this one quote in a James Glyke book that said there, there are ants that appear, appear to, to other ants as ants appear to us. You know, like in other words, there's like this, there's tiny ants and there's big ants. And then I would sometimes <laughs> see something like a dot moving and I couldn't even tell what it was. And I get the magnifying glass out and it was some kind of mite or something. Right. And, and you realize that this is just happening. It just keeps happening, man. It just goes down mm. all the way. And the really trippy idea is it probably goes above us too. It probably doesn't stop with our own ego consciousness. That's what we'd like to believe, but it probably just keeps on going above us and it keeps on going below us. So once you get that sense of ecosystems, you're just an ecosystem consciousness. You're just like, oh, of course, of course, I wouldn't put antibiotics in my body unless it was just, I was completely out of options because to completely, that's a genocide in my, in my intestines, right? It's going to destroy, <laughs> and that can't be good. You know, like, it's just obvious. You don't need a PhD to understand that once you have that ecosystem consciousness or, you know, some uh, chemical like glyphosate being poured all over the, the earth and, oh, conveniently, it's going to kill off one kind of life and not going to affect any other. And I can ingest any amount of it and it magically goes away. Like you just know that doesn't add up. It sounds very suspicious once you have this ecosystem consciousness. And so there are people who are very smart in one way. They've got engineering degrees. They've gone to Ivy League schools, whatever. And maybe they could talk about software or derivatives and financial instruments all day long and they just have yet to encounter uh, ecosystem consciousness they don't have it and i think it's just growing up not touching living soil not um not having the experiences that lead to that type of consciousness you know going camping in a curated park overnight and just roasting some s'mores over the fire and packing your jeep up the next day that doesn't get you ecosystem consciousness automatically nor does standing on the golf golf course and thinking that you're in nature like these aren't <laughs> these aren't sufficient conditions and so many people have not had the sufficient conditions to to have ecosystem consciousness and then if they're very powerful then they prescribe or if they're corporations without ecosystem consciousness then they prescribe all kinds of wacky interventions and create all kinds of products that are completely divorced from the biosphere. So that's, I've thought long and hard on this. And part of the sneaky thing about make soil Doug, is that it instills that ecosystem consciousness when people participate in it, it completes that feedback loop, it updates their mind. And so that's part of why I'm so passionate about it. Cause we're, we're programming human consciousness for, ecosystem consciousness and then when you have that ecosystem consciousness you just want to be kind to the planet you don't need to be scared into it you don't need co2 numbers to convince you to do something you just want to be kind to your own body kind to the earth and you want to harmonize yourself as part of part of the web of life yeah that's um that's such a beautiful message I, I, paul chick would talk about and i was in the that film my octopus teacher I don't know if you've seen that one. I never have. Never heard of it. It's a brilliant movie. It's just come out um, on Netflix about a 
yeah, it's just a beautiful film about a South African. He was a documentary filmmaker, but he grew up where he spent some time in the in, in the deserts with nomadic tribes who they were so in touch with the land they could pick up smells and traces and animals and weather conditions without you know that no one else was aware of because they were yeah. so their life you know for centuries their life depended on those skills and he had this kind of just from that experience he had this desire to have that kind of connection with with nature that these yeah, these warriors he followed around um you know even how they could just look in the sand and see what had been there even though to everyone else it looked like nothing um, this is a perceptual ability right it's a very it's a type of intelligence that any human mind can be organized into but it it needs to be immersed and encounter nature ecosystems in order to, to gain that processing ability so those guys have it to the nth degree because they've been so immersed in it yeah yeah and it was so interesting so he he was he got quite depressed um and overwhelmed with work and then he just took time you know he had a family he didn't want to let them down but he didn't know what to do and he just went into nature and he went swimming every day and the cold and the nature and everything like brought his chemistry back into balance. It got him reconnected with, he started wanting to make films again, but um, yeah. it was interesting that Paul Chick says that level of awareness as we rise in consciousness isn't often, we don't integrate those lower levels. And so we kind of skip and disregard them and go to yeah. more of a heady scientific, rational, rational, like divisive mindset and there's reductionist yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah transcend and and include is the phrase that i've heard that's that's the way forward mm. yeah and very few people can be um well everyone can be but typically in western society there's very few people who totally embrace their rational faculties along with their uh intuitive ones along with their mystical ones they gen people generally overcompensate and favor one or the other you know dad was a reductionist scientist so they run off and become a total hippie and you know remind you know using using rash using their mind reasonably just makes them feel ashamed that you know because daddy didn't appreciate their art project or whatever we've all got these wounds from childhood right but you just want to be into reality, really. You just want to encounter reality as much as you can and makes and just experience it. And and so I think I've had this this ability to to embrace the the, the sort of mysterious, wondrous side of of reality along with the technical engineering part of it or the or the way of looking at it but so i love engineering i love building things i love computers and i also simultaneously know that that stuff is a hopeless oversimplification of what's really going on and the complexity of nature and even of our own brains we just we just every year scientists figure out that the brain doesn't work the way they thought it did that there's more processing going on in the tips of the dendrites than they thought before and so on. So it's just, it's just clear that trend is going to continue. So. Yeah. It's, um, I, when I look back at 
even just my short life and I see the different people I, uh, the different people, people I was at different ages and the different mindsets I had and the different ways of looking at the world. And, uh, it's just so fascinating. And that kind of perspective of the world gets shattered and then you have this other layer of layer added on. And I think, uh, you know, I see it in other people, um, but when I got quite disillusioned with advertising and I kind of knew there was more to life and went down the, I guess like I wanted something more uh, spiritual, but religion didn't really work. And so I found kind of yoga and there was so much wisdom in these yoga texts about chakras, about energy systems, about postures, about um, rituals to cleanse the body, ways of eating, um, you know, Ayurvedic systems for different, different people had different, you know, constructs to their body and their energy systems. Um, and then just started coming across people like Trey and yourself and, but it wasn't, and I had this growing up as a sportsman, this big disconnect between kind of drugs were just such a bad thing. And, and there's, you know, if you want to be a good athlete, a good student, and then I had uh, a few kind of experiences, but then I had a magic mushroom one in Bali and I could just see all of these things I'd kind of learned about on a head level I could experience, like actually feel the energy systems in the body. And, yeah. um, and then so when I meditate or see things now, I can see appreciate them in a different level. And when I had acupuncture, I could actually feel the energy systems in the body that she was working on. and. And I was like, wow, what are the layers to life if I not like what's what's next? And then you come <laughs> you come across some shamans or some I just see people now so differently. Like uh we had a, a, a one of our cleaners, she only uses natural pro- products and she does massage as well. And she would give our family massages and she would just tap into whatever was going on, being like, Oh, you're worried about this, or I can feel this part of your body is tight you're obviously, you know, should let go of this thought or, and I was like, wow, there are some people who have just got wisdom. Um, yeah. I don't know. It seems so exciting. These different layers of consciousness and it, what, has yeah. there been anything that's helped, you know, you mentioned festivals and people and working with soil. Are there things that keep lifting or have helped open you up to those layers of awareness? Yeah. I would I would say that ever since I was young, I was popping into these spiritual experiences. I just sort of stumble into them, and uh, and then you're sort of left with, you know, once you've glimpsed another another reality or another way of experiencing reality, another type of consciousness, you're just and you go back to kind of the normal way of being. That happens enough times. First of all, it's extraordinarily pleasurable and meaningful usually and you know probably the most constant thought on my mind through my adulthood and even my early 20s and so on was there are other ways to be you know there are absolutely other ways to be than this default way of being that's so 
so normal. And, and I've had hundreds of those experiences and they've been mediated by everything from meditation to prayer, to fasting, to medicines, to meeting other gifted people. And <laughs> so there's, there's uncountable different types of elevated consciousness to experience. And there are uncountable manifestations of, of those states of consciousness in people out there. And I spent quite a while traveling the world, just meeting every phenomenal person I could who had some strange ability and then began develop, I developed some myself. And it's just like you're saying, it's just uh, the quote I came up with at the end of it all, I said, once it happened over and over again, like you're saying, like now this layer of reality is kind of opening up to me or this entire system is now, I've now had an experience of it firsthand. What's next? And I just stepped back one day and looked at all of it. And I said, man, reality is a very big place. You know, just when I thought I was getting to the limits of what it was, it just turns out to be way bigger. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. And I'd say now I've gone the gamut, man, I, or at least it feels like I have. And I've, I've gone way into the esoteric uh, at times. And, and a very interesting experience happened, though, where um, um, <laughs> there's a leaf blower outside. Let me just go shut this window real quick. You know, being with family is like a, like a comedy, right? So I <laughs> told them, guys, I've got this call with New Zealand, so no knocking on the door, no whatever. And they said, we'll be very quiet. And they end up outside the window with a leaf blower. <laughs> so it's just, at this point, the lesson is to just love. You just I love your family. You don't change yeah. your family. You don't try to perfect your family. You just love your family. And it's all hilarious. Um, but anyways, my you know, I was having this experience one day where I was just sort of getting tired of the human experience or whatever. And I was also into this way into esoteric stuff. And uh, I felt like my soul said to me, you're, you're really preoccupied with this spiritual stuff. And I was just like blown away. I was like, what in the world? Why would, a, why would my spiritual self tell me I'm preoccupied with spirituality? But it just kind of showed me in this instant that I was avoiding the human experience. It was saying, you know, really embrace the human experience. And the, the exact takeaway was so many of the esoteric things that you're trying to understand uh, are things that you understood before you got to earth and the things you're going to remember the moment you leave earth. And so don't hurt yourself trying to figure it out while you're there. You're going to be bummed that you missed out on the earth experience. And that was just, that was out of nowhere, man. And it was a very, it's just got that, that tinge of truth to it, you know, where you're just like, Oh, of course, of course. And so I love those explorations. You know, I've read the sutras and so on. Um, and uh, the Vedas and all this stuff. And at the same time where my path is now is to really, to like enjoy simple earthy embodied things about the human experience against the context and backdrop of knowing that this is some giant infinite hologram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 
yeah, I feel like that's something you almost have to go through. I've seen it in my brother. Um, he's got really into the Vipassana, him and his girlfriend, and they got yeah. so so into that just meditation uh, space. But it was just such a – and I was there too like a year or two before, and then there's a disconnect from – I guess it's that Zen saying like after – enlightenment or before enlightenment you know chop wood fetch water and then after chop wood fetch water like you still but you appreciate things on a deeper level and um yeah and that's what i really appreciate with people like yourself and you know trey and people who are aware but still working and creating beautiful physical things as well and embracing technology as much as nature walks and yeah, and, and enjoying and appreciating all sides of life. Um, yeah. is, is there any particular? I, I just read. I've got this book, uh, "The Master Key" by. Uh, oh, I forget his name. But he did a. He did. He's a Qigong master, and he some of the stories in this book. He you know meditated under a, a under a temple in darkness for a hundred days without food. He did just these incredible things with chi energy with deepening his level of awareness of energy. Are there any kind of practices? I mean, I just read this book (laughs) and I thought, and this guy's a teacher for um, Rupert Murdoch and Naomi Campbell and the presence of the Royal people in China. It was um, just this incredible book. And I thought, wow, I wonder what it'd be like to study that to that degree or, is there anything like that that you're interested in the mo- at the moment? Or yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when COVID hit, uh, I was in Thailand studying with uh, some super powerful chi masters and martial arts masters, and um, and it's the damnedest thing because you know, these people could do extraordinary things. They could teach you how to do extraordinary things. We were doing and witnessing the most sort of bizarre, like superpowers and things. And then we'd all, we would still sit there around the dinner table together, trying to just, me and the other students, trying to take it all in. And then one person would say, you know, I still don't even believe, I don't think chi is a real thing. I think they're just controlling our minds, you know? And some, and it was, and you really, I'll be honest, you sit there and you go, I, I actually, after all this, I don't know if I believe more in chi or less in chi, you know, it's, it's, and it sounds so crazy, but you know, it would be much easier if it was just like on Star Wars and they could, you know, you could just, I don't know, like, no, or Superman, you see like the lasers come out of the eyes or something, but we're, we really, we've had a lot of, I've had a lot of these experiences and trained a lot of these things. And it's not really clear whether she um, is a real thing or whether, a per, whether a person can like with the mirror neuron network or whatever, put their consciousness inside your body. And, and so I there's even martial arts masters who don't believe in chi. They say it's just, it's a word for something we don't understand. And so it's a placeholder word, you know, and others are very, yeah, chi is this energy and it's yin yang energy and this and that. And um, I just, I hold everything so 
so lightly now because again reality is a very big place new avenues keep opening up but i've had experiences like you're talking about where the energy flows or a chakra opens or something and then you just you look down at yourself physically and you go holy smokes it's real you know it's it's real because yeah. it's happening in that <laughs> moment you know but um but i still hold it all very uh very lightly but it's just and meditation is a funny thing uh, i used to be a huge fan of it in many ways i still am i've had profound experiences on meditation and i've come a bit full circle though now which is um you know, if somebody meditates an hour a day, you might say to them, wow, you've got great discipline. I admire you. And then if they told you they meditated an hour every day and night, you'd say, wow, you have great, great discipline. You know, I'm I really, I'm really impressed. And then if they said they meditated five hours a day or seven hours a day or 12 hours a day, at some number, you just say to yourself, I think you might be missing out on, on life. <laughs> you know, where, so where is that number? And also, is it healthy that we have eyes and we have hands and we have legs, but in order to find peace, we have to shut our eyes and cross our legs and fold our hands? Like, I'm not, right, we kind of today, meditation is trending, and so we just hold it up as this ultimate good. But it may be more of like a compensating mechanism for an otherwise unhealthy existence and really the ideal isn't that we have to spend four hours a day meditating to feel peaceful the ideal is you don't have to meditate at all you're just you're you are meditation your eyes open talking to people going through your day the ideal is not that you have to sit sit with your eyes closed every day and try to shut up your mind that is that is not ideal that's a sign of a problem <laughs> so, uh, so it's so true it's so the um it reminds me of ramdas when he said you know don't meditate because you think you should meditate you know you want to be drawn to it as like another experience or right and and when i listen to you know listen to guys like paul check and he's it's an it's just an opportunity to sit and get some download rather than trying to escape the stress of your everyday life. It's like a way to be inspired yeah. rather than, yeah. and I saw you had a quote from Tony Robbins that you've met or know Tony. And, and I mean, he's, he's like, I've been to his courses and he's incredible and, but he's so inspired. It's like, why would you want to escape? You know, he talks quite a lot about that. I'm like, I know he's been taught by these meditation teachers and he's friends with Deepak Chopra and all these guys. And then he kind of sits and just listens to great music and gets pumped <laughs> up every morning. And, yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. But he does the cold, he does all the priming stuff. And I, I've done stuff with Wim Hof too. And, I, I, and that for me, it's been like, well, just jumping in the cold and feeling inspired to work. And, yeah. Um, and then at some point I'm like, well, I actually haven't had any quiet time too. So maybe I do need to sit for a while or yeah, I was, uh, it's interested, interesting how people work differently. What's your, um, relationship with Tony or have you, you know, you've done his courses or your friends. Yeah, or... I mean, he's, he's a, he's a friend and, uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in, I wouldn't even say believer. I'm a big experiencer of 
synchronicities, like profound synchronicities, like bizarrely off the charts, improbable synchronicities. And, and again, it's not just like I'm a extremely mystical person. It's like just rationally the, the occurrence of these synchronicities is so strong that I have to just as a reasonable person notice it and say, wow, there's something going on. There's some fabric to the universe that is not very obvious uh, that where energy and information can be exchanged and time space can be altered or whatever. But I used to keep a journal of it and just, just bizarre things. I remember Trey and I were hanging out once and we were, we were talking and um, and I used this very odd word. It was the, it was a word of a certain chemical or something. And, and then this, there was a knock on the door and this guy opens the door and he says the exact same word. It's the, he, his, it's his, it's the, it's the nickname of somebody he's looking for. Right. And it was just, <laughs> he's just, there's these moments where you're just like, is this happening right now? You know, and I've had so many of those. And anyways, becoming friends with, with Tony was the same way. I was, uh, I was at a very um, uh, unusual esoteric place pursuing consciousness. And the moment I left, I knew I had to go back. And so I told them I was coming back in three or four days and they said, that's fine. I didn't know why I had to go back. And the moment I went back, I had no idea why I was there. And I walked in and there's Tony sitting there with his family. And we just, <laughs> we became friends. Uh, so uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful guy. Helps a lot of people. And uh, yeah, you can't convince him that he needs to sit with his eyes closed more often. So like you're saying with the sitting and getting the downloads, that's great. But wouldn't it be even better if you were just getting those while you're just calmly walking around or, or cooking food or whatever, you know, I think there's such a, it's, it's very easy for people to go down the path of spirituality and consciousness and to buy into a motif instead of, a legitimate relationship with you know some higher power or their own higher self or the universe as a collective or whatever right it's so easy to just get beads and crystals and the right yoga pants and it's and it can be helpful i don't need to make fun of that stuff you know those, those pants it's actually nice to have pants that don't constrain you, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, but now the way i'd sum it up doug is that i used to have all these like experiences where my consciousness would go from like level four to level 40 not that it's really about levels or we're just using a really crass metaphor here uh but i love those peak experiences right where you just remember the your true nature or the ultimate nature of the universe or total oneness or complete emptiness or there's so many versions that i've experienced um and then I would just come back down and just be really upset with myself that I wasn't staying there, you know, and I would just be sort of depressed all the time that I wasn't staying in these states of enlightenment <laughs> or whatever. And now what I'll say is that instead of aiming for level 40 and then sometimes you will go all the way, that's nice. But if I can be at level four this week and at level 4.1 by the end of the week, and at level 4.2 by the end of next week, consistently, that pays dividends. That's my goal now. I, it's humbling, and yet it's more satisfying. And you don't, again, you don't want to cheat yourself of the human experience and just 
you know, if you, if you really end up in total enlightened Buddha consciousness, I actually think you're probably not long for this world. You're going to shed the body probably pretty quickly and uh, maybe even prematurely. So to me, it's now a steady progression, maintaining and internalizing a, 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 the next level of lightness and freedom and not just trying to fling myself over the fence without really walking, walking. So, yeah, that's, I have that deep feeling that kind of knowing that, you know, having seen, I had a couple of friends pass away. They weren't, one of them was just this extraordinary guy who was, um, he was on different, you know, levels, just his energy in a room would, he was kind of like a Tony Robbins guy, but he had this um, just way of hugging and laughing that was free of any fear that would just, you know, melt anybody. Yeah. And, but he was so, his father had passed away. Um, and so it pushed him to explore the deepest areas but it was, it was quite often ungrounded. So it would get himself into a bit of trouble or, you know, that boundary between psychosis. Sometimes you can be, right. you can be exploring these depths. You know, I could tell, you know, it was coming from a place of pain or, or curiosity, but it would go so deep. And, um, you know, it would get into trouble in the physical kind of landscape. Totally. And, but I think he said to his girlfriend, like his work was almost done, you know, and, and when he, when he, I'm not quite sure how he passed away, but he, he it was, it was just like a shock that he'd drowned one day. I don't know whether he was doing some experimental breathing technique at midnight right. or he right. was, you know, cause he, you know, I do that kind of thing all the time. Like you do Wim Hof or you do some kind of breathing or you do, you know, cold water or you're trying to get into a different headspace. And, yeah. and if you take that to the nth extreme, you're kind of right on the borderline. Um, yeah. But when he passed away, I just felt like he was still there. He, never, he, he hasn't really left. Mm. Um, I didn't see it as a huge it was sad on one level, but then it was beautiful on another level. Yeah, totally. But I think uh, that's beautiful. And, you, and you'll find a pressure to be, to be more sad. Like you're not people like guilty for being irreverent because you're not acting more sad or whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, do you believe all this oneness stuff or not? You know, it's <laughs> even if you just believe in heaven, it's like you, he's saying he's in a better place while you're sobbing. That doesn't add up. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like the way to go. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I've, well, that's the thing. I felt this pressure to be really sad and I wasn't right. that sad. And I, and I, and then I had another friend pass away who, um, who was like a childhood friend who, anyway, I did a post about him and someone said, you know, like I was kind of celebrating his life and they kind of said, you know, you should be, that's not right. You should be, you know, more sad and kind of, and it just left me really confused on this one level for quite a while. I, I just thought, have I got this all wrong? Um, but, and often it's because I think we don't have a, 
there's so much conditioning and I didn't, I didn't have a teacher to guide me through that process to be like, Oh, that's their perspective. That's your perspective. Here's the truth is probably a combination of the two or, um, it was just really interesting. I was so, so confused for, for a while. And now I think, Oh, okay, maybe, you know, I can hold that truth, but, that doesn't mean they can, and I shouldn't, you know, I should better honor maybe the space that they're at. Um, and it's just an interesting, it's an interesting place to be. It's like you're challenged no matter what level you are, you're always challenged. Um, yeah. But the, the freer you get, the less, the less you uh, pay attention to like the more, the more that sad person just appears to you as making themselves unnecessarily sad because it's, it's their ego believing that in order to be a good person, this is how they should feel and behave. And they're even going to pressure that onto you. And it's religions throughout time have done a great job at shaming people for not feeling a certain way. And it even extends to new agey non-religions. So I would encourage you to embrace that lightness <laughs> and, uh, you look around and, and really people are, they love to blame uh, and they're really making themselves miserable. And so in this case, this person, the happier you are, the more it irks them that you're not, right? Do you see what they're doing to themselves? Like yeah. why, why is their happiness, why are they even making that dependence on your emotions? What an absurd thing to do. You, if you want to make your own sense of okayness dependent on the parent emotions of 8 billion other people you have just doomed yourself it's a recipe for unhappiness and it's amazing how you see that show up even under the auspices of of spirituality or enlightenment or god knows what yeah i mean it's something i really appreciate about trey his ability he can cry and be fully open his heart and then just laugh and joke about something yeah. almost in yeah. an appropriate way that just light it's like comedy comedy just kind of is this ultimate truth to be able to laugh at these things um yeah it's interesting have you got because zach bush there's a great podcast with zach bush where he brought three people back from the dead as a doctor you know their heart had stopped and yeah i heard, heard that talk and he said, you know, he said they all said why did you bring me back <laughs> like, i felt so much love um have you got you know a perspective on like the esoteric an overarching perspective on that kind of thing um or a, yeah 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 i do um you know i've i've even without medicines of any kind through meditation i've i've gone into states of consciousness where it felt like dying because the personality was was dying in that moment and i've you know wept at the freedom of it and so on. Um, and yet I came back and uh, I've had friends who've had near-death experiences or have actual death experiences. You know, they were dead for eight seconds or 20 seconds or whatever. And they give their accounts of um, deciding to come back and how kind of painful it was to come back. And, you know, in one of my meditations, I had this, uh, bizarre experience where 
I got an image of of a like a giant glowing like world tree or something, kind of like in Norse mythology, and uh, and there was this root that was like a tendril touching the earth, and I sort of intuitively knew that this glowing tree was my soul, and that this tendril touching the earth at the very tip of that tendril was me this physical body this this consciousness and and so what happens to us is we are the tip of this sort of tendril and we are fixated in this direction and we completely forget about what we really are beyond that point except in these rare moments but then the other really humorous realization was that this tree had many other tendrils into other places and it and my i remember clearly being offended in this egoic kind of way when i realized that essentially my soul has other stuff going on other than this representation and it was, it was i felt like i was being cheated on at first you know like i thought I thought i'm your guy you know i'm in it was just so humorous though because of course if there is a soul or some some super powerful true nature aspect of ourselves it's got it's got a lot going on it's outside of space time it's not it's what what do you think it's doing while you're sleeping or on the on the john or something you know it's like it's it's not just waiting around waiting for you to check your emails and and get over your problems like it just made so much sense so i've had experiences where i've seen these representations of what's going on and i've i've experienced this sort of dying before you die in a in a psychological state many times and um and it's not a bad trip it's a good trip but also don't long for it prematurely i think we've actually gone through great effort in this in this narrative who knows the truth right but the narrative that i kind of subscribe to now is um we've gone through great effort to, to show up here and and that uh human existence can be, it can be hell on earth or it can be heaven on earth and it's all the state of your mind. So have a good time here. Um, I, I once played this kind of game. I don't know if it was real or not, but I was meditating and I decided I would, I would try to make contact with uh, Mahatma Gandhi and, and ask him some questions. And, um, and I tapped in, I thought I tapped in or I made it all up. I'll, you know, I'll admit that. But I said, Gandhi, what, what should I be doing down here? And he said, uh, raise your vibration, help other people raise their vibration, and have a good time. That was the end of it. <laughs> so I think that have a good time part is, is important. Um, and there's a direction, there's a way to do it. You're not having a good time by inflating ego at complete disregard for other people on the planet. You, you can have a good time while loving the planet while bettering yourself in a way that really the more that you're the more free you are the more you shine that's really the best thing you can do for everyone around you it's not hiding in a cave or playing small or anything like that so you know, i'm pretty at peace with that stuff now and i've had a lot of uh good friends uh and experiences help me help to that place yeah that's such a beautiful message uh, i mean that's what came to me well that the mushroom experience was just play, laugh, create, and everything will be okay. And um, and I heard someone talking about like a Tibetan 
monk or Tibetan school of thought, I think it was that an idea around how the soul gets into the body. And I hadn't heard it explained this way before, but he said, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to get this life. Like how many possibilities or soul. I mean, obviously he's talking on a different level, but he said right. that, you know, you should be just, cherishing and taking every advantage of this human experience that yeah. is as if you had had this one there are infinite like things your soul could have done or will do in the future um you know kind of words don't do it justice but that yeah this was a very rare very rare 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 yeah. special thing it wasn't yeah it wasn't like oh you get another go at this and um you just have to make it through the other side or it was right. like the Alan Watts thing. The whole thing's meant to be a dance. And, um, and yeah, it was just a reminder from, I don't know, it kind of hit me that, you know, like it should be a dance and I give them these weird traps of taking things so seriously. And trying exactly. To- That's been my primary trap. My entire life was taking things too seriously. And, and look, like I'm like, I'm taking things less and less seriously and, doing more and more in the world at the same time. Right. I think that's, that's sort of a, it's a good sign. And, and yeah, there's things I've looked at like uh, Vedanta and Hinduism and things like this, where in this narrative, you know, it's taken a lot of practice for you to manage to get a human body. You know, you, you had a, before you could only manage to turn yourself into a snail or a frog or a beetle or something, you know, and then maybe a chicken one day and then, and then a chicken in a farmer's house who had a very short life or whatever. And, and, and so you've got this human form now. And even, again, bringing the, the rational back into it, connection for connection, there is no more complex object in the known universe past the human brain that we've discovered so far. So if you think about that, like you can, you can, we've drilled miles into the earth. We've looked millions of miles into space and whether it's a star or a planet, we can't find anything as any single object as complex as the human brain. And that's riding on your shoulders right now. That's bizarre. That is, that is from even from just a pure scientific probabilistic perspective, that is a very strange odds that that's you and you are talking and listening and experiencing reality. It's very trippy, very trippy and not to be, not to be taken lightly. I mean, it is to be taken lightly, but it's not to be overlooked the, the, the wondrousness of that. <clears throat> I'll also say though, that nowadays, you know, in the past I would have met somebody and I would have been very, maybe impressed by how much philosophy they could speak or complicated theories they could offer. And now if I meet somebody and they're happy, not just because they're, you know, abusing substances, but they're just, they're happy and they love life and they have a lightness and joy about them. I don't care if they know, about chakras or chi or anything i think i think they're they're on a great path and they're enjoying life and i think the moment they die i think we all sort of remember 
whatever chakras and chi and all this stuff really is. And so I look for those signs now. And if I see a supposed master, but they're so disturbed and in anguish and, and uh, angry at the stupidity of humanity and stuff like that, then I think despite all their philosophizing, uh, there's a lot of errors being made inside of them, you know? Oh, yeah, that's so... Yeah, it's so so true the there's just people you come across who just have an energy and you're like wow they're that's a hero right there that's, that's i don't like, even i don't even want to tell them any of my beliefs yeah, yeah. i don't want to mess up what they got going yeah, on yeah. <laughs> but, um yeah that's 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 beautiful i better um uh better let you go what time is it there now must be getting almost dinner time is it Correct. Yes. It's well, it's 6 20 PM here now. So yeah, there are any, uh, I've watched the apricot, that biggest little farm, the apricot land farm. I mean, there's just so much cool content out there at the moment. Is there any yeah. particular like, um, you know, uh, I just love podcasts and films and books and, um, is there anything that you've been reading or looking at or, or that's ex- that you'd love to share at the moment? Um, the Biggest Little Farm was an awesome movie, especially because almost the point of that movie is to help get that ecosystem consciousness across, right? That's, all, that's like the crux of the movie, that there's a reductionist way of taking a hammer to everything, and then there's an ecosystem and balance and humanity's role as a steward of ecosystems, which is an identity that the human race has not really stepped into fully yet. But that, that's, where, that's, that's where we're going. Imagine eight or nine or 10 billion people who all realize that we're on this little blue dot hanging in space somehow surrounded by dead planets. And it's our job to, if we want, to really take care of this thing together and how much innovation and creativity and community that's going to involve it's really a a wonderful opportunity if we see it that way to do meaningful things <clears throat> you know the economy the way it is now we need we need meaningful work people like to do stuff we need to, a way of making a living and and what better way of making a living than healing and repairing the planet together so that economy is yet to come online it's, it's coming online in very small ways starting with a lot of these documentaries we're seeing uh, different enterprises. Um, But I would really just leave people with this invitation. You know, you and I have had a conversation that's really gone the gamut. And I would say that it's, it's a really good time to practice a grounded spirituality. And what I mean by that is if you're not composting your food scraps yet, if you're allowing the bits of earth or bits of God or whatever you, you, know, you want to think they are to just go into a garbage dump when you could be stewarding those back into new living soil, then you're just really missing an opportunity and an opportunity to elevate your consciousness, to have a spiritual practice that matters uh, and, and an experience that gives, that bestows that ecosystem consciousness that we've talked about several times now and so 
to put it a little more bluntly, right now the earth needs a spirituality that looks like us helping it to regenerate more than it needs us uh, folding our hands and lighting incense. You know, it, it really could use, it could use our help being kind to it in a very practical way. And I promise that something as humble and practical as making soil with your neighbors can actually be profoundly transformative of consciousness and an incredible spiritual practice. So that's what I would invite people to do. And that's why we've built makesoil.org. So I encourage people to find a soil site near them. And if they know how to compost already and have a compost bin that they're stewarding, then become a soil maker and just list it on the website. It's got all these privacy controls that make it easy for you to not get overwhelmed with people you don't want participating and just the right amount of neighbors. And it'll be transformative for you, your family, your kids, your neighbors. So that's what I would, I would invite people to rather than just another book. There's many great books out there. Yeah. Fantastic. That, just on that. So, so, so if we've got a, a compost system already, so someone would register, find us, and they could bring their compost to us. And we their scraps, would, they're compostables. Yeah, their scraps, sorry, yeah. Um, and add to our compost. Uh, yeah. yeah. And they do that week after week. And they see, they eventually notice that the scraps are disappearing and the soil is building up. And that simple process is something that the vast majority of humans have never seen before. You have to realize they've never seen that. They don't know that that's what happens. Most people have never witnessed it. Even people who chuck things into a wheelie bin at the curb, you can ask, you can ask 10 people what happens to it, what, what does it turn into? And you know, six out of 10 have no idea that it turns into soil. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's bizarre, but that's the state of humanity right now. So when they, if you invite them to that process where they can find your soil site on the map, you can make it so they need to be approved or you can make it wide open. You can make it really comfortable for you. So you, you feel that you've um, got some control over it and some, some security, but to invite people to start having that experience on a weekly basis, or they have their, you know, if I look in my parents' backyard, you can watch the neighborhood children bringing the food scraps to the compost bin that he stewards. And before, and before he became a soil maker, before my dad became a soil maker, those kids had nowhere to compost. Those families were not composting. They were missing out on that experience. And so look at how many lives he's touched now just with having a soil site in his backyard. So yeah, it's not to be overlooked. It's a very, very profound, very humble, simple looking act. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting working more in that that space myself because I'm my mum's a horticulturalist and gardener and she but I'm often just on the computer doing the marketing or reaping the benefits of it and every time I do help out in the garden or be part of that process I feel like wow this is what humans are meant to do it's um yeah. you just feel better but um yeah thanks so much for your time Josh it's been yeah, I love that serendipitous. I think that serendipitous journal uh, is such a neat idea. Um, even just the you know the chances of meeting yourself and Trey and these connections yeah. around the world are just extraordinary. Um, yeah. And yeah, this what you've done with this site um, looks fantastic. So yeah, thanks so much for your time and your work and um, just you being you, man. It's uh, yeah, awesome. And can't wait to connect. Uh, maybe stateside or in 
New Zealand or I'd love to get to Japan sometime too, but it'd be yeah, right? great, to, great to meet you in person. There's something about, it's interesting. There's something with all the zoom stuff that's going on that just being in person or having a community, there's nothing that still replaces that. It's yeah. I find it's all the more special now when you actually get that to happen. It's like you really appreciate it because it's just, it's not the norm anymore. So maybe, maybe that's part of the lesson. You know, we just begin to appreciate being in each other's presence again. So, and I, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. And just I had one question. This is a personal one because I, I have, um, there's people, you know, when you come across someone who's unconscious, not that they're, you're above or below them, but when you, I sometimes struggle how to, whether to just champion what I believe in or what I, what I think is true, knowing that I'll probably make plenty of mistakes too. But then how do you stand up for something without, you know, doing it from a place of love? Like if you come across someone who's doing the opposite of composting, who's spraying glyphosate or who's promoting this, is there a way that you, you know, channel Gandhi into, into, do you focus more on your soil or do you stand up against it or do you, is it, I'm just intrigued how you approach those kind of situations. Yeah. I really try to lay off the, uh, against anything energy these days. I think mm. it's a lot of people holding that down. If they got that covered <laughs> and the problem is that it doesn't put people into a very teachable state or a place of being interested in learning. And so where we are now is people are trying to eliminate their political and ideological en enemies and uh, much better if, if we just want to learn together. We just want to know what, what's the best thing to do. What's the right thing to do. How do we take care of the earth? How do we have happy lives together? So let's say if there's conversations where a person is, um, really not interested in learning i i don't have those conversations or i just point out uh just the other day i had to withdraw from one and say you know just the question you've asked me you're not asking that from any kind of place of wanting a real answer or a curiosity you're just you're just scrutinizing me to see how how much you know to, to prove to yourself that i'm just uh, the enemy or something and i just not going to engage with that you know so really trying to neutralize that um and just yeah get people it happens to all of us you get your emotions and your identity tied up in something and it's just the defensiveness and not willing to learn it's a big problem with the human condition right now so I'm doing better at remembering that and falling into it a little less often myself these days uh you know it's funny i'll have people say to me oh my neighbor you know i'll tell them about make soil maybe and then they're saying they, they can't even hear me because they're so angry at their neighbor or some politician. And, and I'll say to them, well, have you invited this person to, to make soil with you? And they think I'm joking and I'm not, you know, because if, if they were to be making soil together with that neighbor, if they were both to be bringing their scraps to the same bin and seeing each other go through the act of living and healing the planet together with their own hands, they would find those, conversations that need to happen happen much more easily and from a much more productive place and so i'm not joking when uh when i say i put most of my hope now in just uh getting people to make soil together 
And it's such a beautiful message. I mean, I did think about it the other day. I thought these are just other brothers. These are other people who I could be best friends with. <laughs> I'm sure if I did something like spent a week camping with them or, you know, a day, <laughs> like you say, making soil, I would, there's so many people I've, I've met who I thought, wow, this, they see the world so differently. And then you spend a day with someone like that. And you're like, well, no, we're just, cut. we're like, we're all actually kind of saying the same thing in a different way or just at yeah. different levels. Um, yeah. I had a, there was a reporter I talked to a little while ago who uh, is a very sort of um, uh, in the States, we would call a liberal sort of person and they, their car broke down like in very conservative, like Trump country or something. And, uh, and they were terrified, but in reality they just ended up being, taken care of and doted on by nice old people who made meals for them and gave them a nice place to sleep and fix their car for them and sent them off you know <laughs> and the guy was sort of having a existential <laughs> crisis now that the the enemy turned out to be different than he imagined so that's that's the reality of things oh that's so funny that happened to me a few times when i cycled down the west pch and i'd have to jump yep. and land and i'd stay with someone there's giant trump flags on there <laughs> <laughs> on their door and i bike up i'm like oh i'm meant to be staying with you tonight and thanks and they're just the nicest people um yeah so hospitable it was um yeah it was really beautiful so thanks so everybody's much everybody's trying to do the right thing no matter yeah. how much we disagree right now everybody's we've got different values different perceptions of reality and everybody's just trying to make sense of life and 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 do the right thing so let's, let's hopefully remember that about each other well there you go if you're looking for something to do why not invite a friend over or perhaps an enemy and uh, compost some banana skins together maybe a leftover pizza and indian takeaways can go in there as well and then we can all be friends hug it out over some compost doesn't get much better than that and if you're uh if you're looking for a place to start make sure to check out makesoil.org find your local composting community or uh if there isn't one close by, maybe create your own. Share the compost, share the love. And uh, love to hear what you think of the episode. Feel free to leave a podcast review and uh, maybe a shout out on social or share it. That'd be much appreciated. Uh, it's interesting. I've had this insight for a while that if you share more, you get more. Something around that. I need to share more myself. So um, anything I come across, I'm going to try and put it out there if I think it can benefit others. If uh, you think this episode could benefit, then up to you. But I'd love to hear from you. And uh, make sure to check out Kiss the Ground movie. That really is an incredible place to start. Documentary on Netflix and The Biggest Little Farm as well. If you can get hold of that, that'll rock your composting socks off. And uh, maybe Josh could get Tony Robbins to do an Unleash the Compost Within course. That could be coming soon. And, um, and a little apologies for the delay between episodes. I had a brain injury surfing about six weeks ago. Still on the recovery, but uh, it's been a, oh, I was at about 5%. My brain was about, some people say it's often at that, but it was um, not working very well for a long time. And that's been an incredible experience. Very humbling and beautiful and learned a lot from that. That's another episode though. Anyway, lots of love to you all. Hope dug it and remember, think less, compost more. 